Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be reading there from the New Living Translation. Uh, This is the first time I've used that translation of this service. But for better explanation of the life of Paul, this is part two of our semester the life of Paul. We're going to be extracting from him, talking about him, and it's going to be a good, good word today. I want to say two things very quickly that have nothing to do with this service. I feel like I just need to share it with you, and for whoever this is for, this is what I feel for you right now. I want to, number one, encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up, don't get discouraged. Don't give up, don't get discouraged. Allow God to pick you up and to keep moving forward. And if you'll trust him, and if you'll put your hand in his hand, he will get you through this time of your life. And he will prove himself through your worship and devotion and commitment to him. I feel to tell this to somebody that the Lord will be your advocate. He will be your lawyer. He will be your defense. He will be the one who steps in for you to help you get you through this season. I feel this very, very strongly that some of you right now, God has you in a place where your attention is completely on him now because you have no other options. And since your options are gone, all you have is Jesus. And it's in this moment right now where God takes us and and allows us to walk with humility and allows us to walk in a different place, a perspective, and he can truly, in the process of getting you out and getting you through, he can change you. And when this is all over, you will never be the same, and you're going to say, thank God for the trouble. Thank God for the battle. Thank God for what he's doing in my life. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. We don't come to church just to be a part of something. We come to church because we are part of God's family. Not to be part of a club, a membership, have a membership someplace. We are the family of God coming together to hear from our Father, to experience Jesus. If you want that and you love that, say, I am ready for the Word of God. Say, I am ready for the Word of God. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3. Just turn with me there and let's just read it together. If you don't have it, uh, just follow along. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the only ones, are the ones who are truly circumcised. The debate right now with the Philippian church was the natural Jew and the spiritual Jew. And Jesus said the ones who worship the Spirit of God through the Spirit of God are the ones who are spiritually circumcised to be God's people. We rely on Christ Jesus, on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, it it would be me, in other words. The Apostle Paul is boasting right here in a sense where he's telling us he knows who he is, he knows what he's capable of doing. But he says in verse 4, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. I was circumcised when I was eight years, eight days old, and, and, and I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there was ever one, ever was one, and I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He's bragging right here, it seems like, right? But he has a point. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has 
done. Yes, everything else is worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ Jesus for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In other words, God, God has a plan and sometimes when things don't go according to plan, it's really God's way of saying, uh, you're going too far and getting so ahead of me, I have to allow you to go through some things just so you can come back. Come back to me. Come back this way. Don't go without me. You can succeed, but I love you so much. I'm not going to allow you to succeed so you can come back and start over. So whatever happens next in your life after this moment, you're never going to fail. You're not going to be taken out. Your character will be intact. And you will see my promises fulfilled in your life. You will find out in this season that you're weak in certain areas, but you can be strong in others. You're going to find out in this season, I don't know who I'm talking to, but there is a very strong prophetic feel on this service today. So there's people listening, watching, and here that need to really focus on this because your past, your past is gone. Your past after this moment, it's gone. And God wants to establish a new you, a new you today, just like the Apostle Paul. Everybody, if you will, say, God bless this service today. In Jesus' name, give him one more hand clap because he's just worthy. No other reason, just because he's worthy. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. God bless you. It's very intriguing to find out about the Apostle Paul and his life prior to Christ. I'm going to read you the excerpt actually from our syllabus. If you're watching us online, you can actually, there should be a link there with our syllabus that you can click on and follow with us and, and stay up with us. We do things by semester here, and every semester is different, and this semester has been so rich. Last week, we talked about, well, how many of you remember last, the first part of the semester? What was, what was it? The what? The DNA of community, right? And, and we talked about the importance of of why we need each other, why we need the church, how God used the church. Now we're talking about an individual who established the church and how through his journey he encountered God and God changed everything for him. And, and, and let me tell you, he had a successful life. He was somebody. But God took him in the middle of his life of success on the pinnacle, really, and said, now it's time to do what I've made you to do. Can I begin by saying this to you today, that it's never too late to see God's will performed in your life. It's never too late to see God's hand use you and change you. It is never too late to see the will of God. And you're never too young, neither. But God has a plan. Can I honestly ask you a question? If you were going down the wrong road, if you were heading up and climbing up the wrong proverbial wall of success, would you mind if God said, hold on, and while you're midway up or already climbed up, would it bother you if God said, I I'm going to have to let you start over again because this is the wrong wall? It leads to destruction. It leads to your family being lost. It, it doesn't leave you happy. And at the end, it may seem okay now, but at the end, you're going to be miserable. How many of you wouldn't mind God giving you a chance to make a U-turn, right? God does this for us sometimes, but he allows us to go through life and experience things because it's just the way God wants to develop you and make you. I'm actually standing up here, the son of a nightclub owner. I don't really deserve to be here. None of us really deserve to be in church, but we're here. But by the grace of God, he has taken our former life that we used to have and 
He's created something there like the Apostle Paul. You know, his name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus was born in approximately, historians tell us, about 5 A.D. In the city of Tarsus in, in Sicilia, which is our modern-day Turkey. And his parents, uh, he was born to Jewish parents, but then he moved. He moved his family to Jerusalem. His family moved there actually with him, and, and then he began to have another life. And, and it's there, the, sometime between 15 and 20 A.D., that Saul began his studies under the feet of a great teacher called Gamaliel. And he learned from the best. He was world-renowned in his teachings, a rabbi. And he sat at his feet and studied in depth. But because of Paul being born in the region he was born in before he went to Jerusalem, he was also considered to be a Roman citizen, along with being a citizen of the Jewish nation. So he had dual citizenships. And that was a privilege in his day. That was a privilege because he would be going to Jerusalem, having the ability to, be, to benefit from both governments and systems. Paul was different. So after knowing the ways of the world, per se, and then going into Jerusalem and sitting at the feet of a world-renowned scholar, a Pharisee, Paul himself became a Pharisee. So Paul moved into somewhat a life of politics. And Paul was very zealous about his life. The Apostle Paul, he knew what he wanted to do. He knew what his strengths were. He had a knowledge. He had a, a confidence. So much confidence that he took the lead and said, I'll take care of these misfits called the church. I'll take care of these so-called Christians. And, and he led the charge and people sang his praises. I want you to picture this because he had influence and he had a rite of passage. And while his rite of passage was given to him, his privileges to go from city to city, on the way to one, on a road called Damascus, Jesus appeared to him in a bright light. And it stopped him in his tracks. And he spoke out from that presence in that bright light. The scripture says that when that bright light appeared, that only Paul heard the voice of Jesus. The others couldn't see a thing. They didn't hear a thing. And then it says that Paul became blind. And his experience began to change. Let me remind you that according to the scripture, nothing happens in this world unless God's people pray. Because he is the head, we are the body, and God uses the body to do his work, just like you and I. But I believe it was the prayers of the church that had a strong community that enabled God to change the course of this one man who was fixing to kill and to torment, to hang, to imprison more Christians. And so now this man has an experience, and in one moment God changes his course God changes everything concerning his future and his destiny and puts him in a place of paralysis. Spiritually, physically, he couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. I mean, he couldn't see. So God moves on a man by the name of Ananias and tells him to go pray for Paul or Saul. And then when he had so much uh, of a reputation of persecuting the church, he had so much fear that had been built up inside the church even the prophet says to God, I, I don't think so. I heard about him. You want me to go pray for him, lay hands on him? If I'm going to do it, it's going to be suddenly, right? I, I can't do that. He was refusing, but God said, go. He's a chosen vessel, and I will show him things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul had been cut out of a, of a tapestry that was uniquely woven with two citizenships and education. If you were to look at the life of Paul in, in what we call the example I use is a rubber band effect, where you can take a rubber band, and as long as it's able to be stretched in one direction, it has the same capability to be stretched in the opposite direction. 
Paul's life was stretched by education, by politics, influence. I mean, he was an influencer. Now, he didn't have the same platform that influencers have now, right? His followers were really there out of fear and government and word of mouth. They had heard of Saul. And in just one moment of having that place of influence and popularity, he loses it all. He was supposed to go to a place, the government knew this, that he was supporting, and the religious people, and then he doesn't end up there, but he ends up waiting on God. Everything began to change. His plans for the future had changed. His goals had changed. Everything was demolished and diminished because God loved him so much that he had a better plan for him. I want to show you something, and, and to kind of relate to that, I want you to kind of look at this screen right here and, and use this for an example. Um, the rubber band effect, again, is whenever you are able to be pulled in either direction, the elasticity, the elasticity am I saying that correctly? Yes. Of, yes. Yes, you said that correctly. <laughs> the ability for that to, be go in one, to go in one direction is based on the force, the inertia, the initiative, and the drive that you have. A lot of what was driving the Apostle Paul in one direction was selfishness. And let's be honest, selfishness is just an attribute of us wanting to have a name, wanting to be known. Um, you may have aspirations in your life to maybe provide well for your family, but at the end of the day, when you live in and you're driven by selfishness, what this really means is that it's really about you. It's really about the house you want to live in, the car you want to drive, the clothes you want to wear, and being recognized in most cases. Not every case, but in some cases, you see, because that's what used to drive us. What used to drive us, okay, let me, let me help you. I'll, I'll be him. What used to drive me was selfishness. People knowing me, people liking me, people complimenting me, me fitting into a certain status quo. I mean, Okay, so none of you ever used to live that kind of life. All of you were raised in church. All you came out with halos. You didn't have an ego problem. I had an ego problem. I had an arrogance problem. I had a pride problem because I know me. I knew me. Selfish ambitions are just not something we really learn. It's something we're born with. We are born with a certain nature. But then as God begins to come into our life, you find yourself in this place where the things begin to change and to turn, and that's what happened to me. I would have never thought in a million years, a thousand years, I would be up here speaking to you about the Word of God, leading people, starting a church. My wife and I wanted to start, well, I wanted to start restaurants in San Antonio and around Texas and I was working and living in San Antonio for a little while and it was going according to plan I had favor before I even knew what favor was I worked hard and I just was driven because I told my wife we're gonna own restaurants all over Texas I had dream maps I had pictures I had names picked out I had a binder that I knew and then I met with millionaires they allowed me to sit with them. I picked their brain. I wanted to know how, how do you think? How do you live? What are your ethics? What are your values? What do you do? And, and what do I have to do? And I was doing all of that stuff. And I was driven. And it was fixing to happen. But I had a brother who God saved. And he started to call me and tell me about Jesus. And something happened in my life that everything that was working out well began to work out like not work out. Like, I mean, I lost favor with my boss. I lost favor with a lot of people that, that liked me. And I thought, what is going on here? And then one day I, I was sitting at home in our little apartment that we had 
Haley was just a baby, our firstborn daughter. And I walked up to my wife and I said, sweetheart, this is going to sound crazy because we always said we do not want to live in Victoria. <laughs> How many of you have said that and you're back in Victoria? We wanted to live in the big city, right? We thought opportunity and, you know, hustle and I love that fast-paced life and, and, and the bigger the better, right? And, and I told my wife, I said, God is telling me, and I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was saying. As best as I could describe it, I said, God is wanting us to move back to Victoria to, to worship him as a family and to put our family together. And when I say this, like I literally gave my notice. It wasn't two weeks. It was like right then and there. I wrote a letter, sent it to my boss, gave him word, and I was gone. I was gone. And that's how fast I did it. I was so sure. It wasn't done right, but that's how I did it at that time. It was so strong in me, I felt God compel me. And then we loaded up like a bunch of hillbillies on didn't have U-Haul. I had a trailer I borrowed from my brother. I went by H-E-B. This is funny. You got to hear this. I went by H-E-B. I had no straps, no nothing. Loaded up all my furniture. Drove real slow, Mom, all the way down to the H-E-B. Went to the back, and I thought this, I thought, you know, I've seen that plastic wrap stuff that they put around <laughs> crates. And I asked the manager, can I have one of those rolls? He, by, by a miracle, gave it to me, right? He goes, I don't know what you're doing, but yeah, go ahead. And I went outside, and I wrapped up everything, my couches, my tables, chairs. <laughs> Nothing was going to fly off that trailer, and there we took off. Old Ford pickup truck headed to Victoria, not knowing what to do, didn't have any money, had bad credit. Didn't know what to do, but God had a plan, and I just was obedient to that, and it changed overnight. And then God had a different journey. Now, what is your story? Because I know you have one. If you're here today, you have a story because you didn't start off on this road. But if you were raised in church, I will say this. Maybe things haven't been easy, but I'm going to tell you that I wasn't raised in church, and I had to learn things the hard way when I got into my 20s. And I didn't have a father, and I didn't have anyone to instruct me. I didn't have anyone that really understood me. What I felt being called into the ministry, I didn't even know what that was and had to wait for 12 years to identify that thing. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. But I've got kids now that I've trained since they were little, prayed for them. They're finding their purpose very early. And so if you were raised in church, you have a lot to be grateful for today. If you were raised in church, don't ever feel sorry for yourself because you feel like you don't have a testimony. Being in God's will is the greatest testimony that you could ever have in living for God. But some of you, most of you are like me. You had to learn this. And it's never too late to learn this. Remember Moses, 80 years old, God moved into his life and used him to bring an exodus of people out of Egypt. But look at the life of Moses. Moses was raised in Egypt. He had selfish ambitions. Part of that selfishness overran into his calling, true calling, and he murdered a man. But right there, God couldn't use him. God said, you really have to become a little bit humbled. I have to allow you to be humbled. I have to allow you to go through things. So you'll understand how to depend on me and not your own talents and abilities. It's very humbling for a man. I'm gonna, I don't know who I'm talking to, but for a man to, to have provided for his family, to have educated himself and to have prepared himself, and then all of a sudden, God, it's like, the world is like working against you. But can I encourage you and tell you the word is not working against you. God is working for you. God is working for you. He's changing things in your life. And he'll do it sometimes through closed doors. Broken networks. So he can reestablish you too. See, those are the people that you knew. But God wants to introduce you to the people that he knows. And he will change things at any given moment but if you're not challenged you're not changed point number one 
Our new man has to be challenged to be changed. When God begins to work in our life like the Apostle Paul, it's almost going to seem impossible to, to, to achieve and to get to that place. That's how you know what God's will is for your life many times because the dream and, and the purpose, when he puts it in your heart, it requires him to help you fulfill it. If it's just small enough for you to achieve it, that's your dream, not God's dream. Remember, equate the dreams of God and the will of God to his entire de deity and his person as God. He's big. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is, fills all space. And a God who dreams is just as big as his person. That's at least what I believe. Because I believe that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And as high as the heaven is from the earth is his ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. So I'm going to encourage you, don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself by your own plans. Don't limit yourself by your own ideas. Don't limit yourself by thinking you have it figured out. I've learned that this is a journey. And I've never been able to see the end result all at once, but God has opened up windows of opportunity and doors of opportunity at certain times to give me a glimpse of the future and a glimpse of what it's going to look like and a glimpse of what he looks like in it. Paul saw Jesus as his Lord in that moment because think about this. In that moment when, when, when Saul saw Jesus... He revealed himself as his master because he referred to Paul as an ox. And he said, Paul, don't you know it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads, against, that's what they used to have in the back, old farming, right? Old farming with the tillers and the oxes we used to have. We, I guess we had horses here in Texas, cows, whatever, I don't know. Ox, I just know in the Bible there was ox and and when they would try to kick back against the farmer that was plowing through, there were spikes that were there that would pick the bottom of their hoof that would help make them stop kicking and rebelling and stopping. And so that's what he was telling Paul. He said, Paul, don't you know if you fight against my will, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts me? Just follow me. And Jesus was speaking as the one who had the reins. And that's why Paul was a hard worker that's why paul in his life that was a prophetic indication of what the apostle paul would be doing for jesus jesus was in in other words saying to him you have worked well for the roman government you have worked well for religion you have worked well for the people but now you're going to work for me paul built more churches than any other apostle in the scripture he was a great missionary he wrote more books in the Bible than any other apostle, and he wasn't with Jesus during the time of his ministry, but he knew more than of the other apostles altogether. Even Peter writes in the scripture and says, there are some things that Paul writes about that are hard to understand. He's an educated guy. <laughs> that dude is smart. He knows a lot. Well, see, that's the rubber band effect, right? Because he was well-educated in the world. God said, I'm going to take that same education, and I'm going to anoint it, and he's going to use it for the kingdom of God. So whatever, in whatever area in your life you've had the hardship or development or the growth in, God can take that life or take your life and use it for good. I really don't know what my strengths were. When I was in the world, I, I know I had a strong passion and a desire. I knew how to do a lot of things, but I couldn't identify it. But this one thing I did recognize, that whenever I felt an impulse to do something, I did it, good or bad. I felt a strong impulse. I could hear things and know how to do things and when to be the right place at the right time, sometimes not for good, sometimes for evil. But I learned that when God saved me, I was sensitive to his spirit, and favor began to work, and he would put me at the right place at the right time, give me the right words for the right situation. 
anoint me for circumstances that would help people, build people up. And he began to use the opposite of what I used to be in the world. That's why when God saves people that have certain talents, the worst thing you can do when God saves you is put those talents up. Don't put them up. Take those talents out. Let God anoint them. Let God use them because that's going to be part of your story, part of your legacy. It's so important to grab a hold of your purpose. Paul begins to write this and say, you know what? We had dual natures. We have two sides to us. You've got to recognize that how the devil used you or how the world used you, you know, they didn't care. They didn't, they didn't, they was, it was for their benefit, but you had to become selfish in order to watch out for yourself. But in God's kingdom, he said, those that are great are going to be the least. Those that serve are going to come out ahead. I will bless the humble. I will let the meek inherit the earth. And it's different. That's why when you transition from a worldly concept and system into the church, they're polar opposites. But this is where God's at. And this is what God uses. Colossians 3, 5, and 14 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. This is Paul. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For greedy people, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of the world because of, his, of these sins, the anger of God is coming. So don't think you're going to get away with it. At the end, we're all going to see God. Our time is coming like everyone else's time. I wish I can live forever in this world to be with my family forever. But, but see, that's worldly thinking. And the truth is, I am going to live forever with my family as long as we're in the will of God and doing the right thing. We have an eternal reward. So don't let the devil lie to you. And don't, I'm going to stop right there. You use those things when your life was still part of the world. That was your nature. That's what, that's what you found security in. That's how you lived life. But now is a time to get rid of anger, rage, maliciousness, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Stop cussing. Y'all got too quiet on that remark. <laughs> you scare me. I told a joke this morning. I said, that's like the preacher that, that, that got the phone call from, from, from a wife who had a husband. We had a problem cussing. And, and, and the pastor said, uh, what can I do for you? She said, will you take my husband out? Will you take him fishing? Could you just talk to him about his cussing? He just, every other word is just coming out. And, pastor said, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to. So he picked them up. They went fishing, and they, they got there, and they got in the water, and pastor's just talking to them, giving him the sermon, you know, power, life, and death is in the tongue, and, and now you can devour yourself by speaking these things. And he was getting to the guy. He was really making some headway, and, 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 and the husband was listening. He goes, no, you're right. You're right. And about that time, the preacher had a big hit on his rod, and he started bringing it in. Everything changed, and he started bringing that thing in, fought for it for a while, and then he finally saw it came to surface. It was nice. It was huge. And right when he was reaching for it, it did his thing and whipped, and he lost it. And everything got quiet on the boat. Pastor looked at the man and said, if you ever felt like saying something, now would be the time to do it. We like to live vicariously through other people's faults and sins, right? <laughs> but when you cause somebody else to fail, you're causing yourself to fail too, right? Paul said, there's another old nature that you used to have that you felt security with. Lose it. I'm going to show you a better way. Trust me, and I'll show you a better way. I know you want it now. I know you want it to happen now, but this is a process. And you have to be willing to go through the process. Because if you can ever learn this lesson, point number two, the new man has no limits. Your new man has no limits. The anointing in the apostles Paul life took him way further than religion or his government ever would have allowed him to go. He was more for Jesus than he was for the world. 
I love it when God gives me a chance to minister to people that are hungry and find themselves in a place where they listen. I've, I've actually met people before, and they were doing well with their, with their careers, doing well in their jobs, doing well uh, their education. And, and really, when it, you try to talk to God, it, it, there's no space and room for it because they're so filled up with their own success. But I've seen sometimes those same people hit tragedy because life hits everybody. And I've seen those same people come and ask for prayer and are placed in a position where they before didn't need God, but now they need God. I'm going to tell you, no matter how good things get, everyone is always, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I'm giving you the reality. Life happens to everybody. Things happen to everyone. And and we're we're not separated from trouble or hard times. But there is something that God has given us that will help us understand that if we can learn to trust him, no matter what comes our way, no matter what the struggles are, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at us, we'll always come out ahead because we have one thing in common. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 9. The apostle Paul somewhat limited himself by the things he suffered. Not the things he suffered for Christ, but the things he suffered concerning the old man. 2 Corinthians 12 says, If I want to boast, Paul said, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. And he was right. He could boast. He could tell a story and tell you where he's been, what he's done, who he rubbed shoulders with. He could call names out. You know, you ever met anybody like that? They love calling names out. You one of those people? <laughs> he said, but I won't do it because I don't, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, now he's talking about the new man. So to keep me from becoming proud this time around, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me to keep me from becoming proud. God said, uh, don't be proud. I can't allow you to be proud. But he said, there's this thorn. And, it, and a lot of scholars, and a lot of people, and I'm certainly not a scholar, but I can tell you that it did say specifically that it was a messenger, not a sickness. That was his thorn in the flesh. But what was the message? And if you look at the life of Paul, there was only one message that could torment him to discourage him, discredit him, and make him lose his vigor, and that was his past. When he was looking families in the eyes, preaching to them, helping them, talking to them about the love of God, Paul wrote the most astounding writings in the Bible concerning love. But how can a man who knows the love of God face people whose children he put in prison, whose parents he put at the stake. And I think those tormenting thoughts and images and things he would wrestle with. But listen to what he said. And so he said three times, verse 8, I begged the Lord to take it away each time. Each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. See, I used to brag about my strength in the world and before God saved me. But now I am boasting on the fact that I am weak and that I need him. Because there, he said, so that the power of Christ can work through me. The flip side to that, to that, to that uh, the rubber band effect was selfishness and it was good works on the other side. Throw that back up again, the old one. No, the, the other one. Thank you. Good works. That was the flip side to that. Where we did things for ourselves, and when God saves us now, we have the choice to do something good towards others because we're blessed. Now go to the new slide. And this is the Apostle Paul. See, the grace of God is filled in our lives. You see, and the flesh is still there. You can't cast out flesh. Flesh is something you have to deal with every single day. 
But you can keep it at bay because if you look at it here, it's not growing at all. It's black. It's dead. It's dormant. But it can become alive pretty quick if you allow it to. I mean, weeds and grass grow in the same ground. And they'll grow together if you don't pull out the other. But here's the thing. Paul said, the anointing in my life, I'm able to do good work now because now I persecuted the church. Now I'm building the church and encouraging the church, blessing the church. I'm encouraging young pastors. I'm raising up young leaders. And what I destroyed before now, God's using me to build it back up. Can I ask you a question? If you feel like that you haven't done anything for God or you feel like you haven't accomplished much, I promise you, just if you made the difference in the life of one individual, you've done more than most people in the world. If you've helped one person get to heaven, help one person get saved, help one person with, with what needs they may have, because this world is not interested as much in helping people more than rather than seeing how they can benefit from everything themselves. But the church is different. The church is different. The community of the church is different. We are driven for one purpose, and that's to please God and fulfill his will. But if you're going to find the grace of God and find the favor of God and the anointing of God, you have to recognize it comes through good works. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean anything. But when you start creating avenues, when you start creating opportunities, when you start allowing God to use you, don't put your gifts up. You don't know what your gifts are. Look at what you used to be. It'll help you identify it. It'll help you. Can I share something with you? I know we have young people in here. My wife can testify to this, only my wife. But I wasn't saved, and I, I don't know what happened to me. I, I, alcoholism runs in my family, and I can't have it because it makes me crazy. Not like you think. I used to jump up on tables and start telling jokes <laughs> and making people laugh. And saying things that were absurd just to make people laugh. One time her brother came to her who lived in another city and said he saw me, a friend of his saw me in another city doing a, uh, 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 doing a stand, stand-up comedy. <laughs> Had no idea what he was talking about, but I was there. The flip side to that is, God didn't put me on a table. He put me on stage now. When the anointing hits me now, a fresh word comes out of my mouth. Ideas, expressions, analogies, these things. And they start happening and God begins to pour them out and start building a church instead of making fun and just going through life like it doesn't matter. But my life matters to Christ now and Christ matters to me and I'm doing something now that I love. But what is your story? Where are your gifts? Where are you supposed to be? What do you have? How are you channeling it? No, you can't use every one of your gifts, but you are a gift within yourself. How you can make a contribution to the body of Christ, that's how God wants to use you. That's where God wants to flow through you. It comes through works. See, good works were meant for bad situations. Not always good. It's a blessing when we bless people who are blessed already. That's great. But I look for somebody to bless that isn't blessed. I look to give to someone who needs it, not someone that already has it. The key word is need. And I have to tell you, God doesn't just want you. He needs you. And Ananias wrestled with God and said, I'm not going to go pray for, for Saul or Tarsus. Mm -mm. Nope. I heard the stories. I know where he's been. I know, is, is this really you, God? If this is you, I need some kind of a confirmation. I mean, let somebody knock on the door right now like this. I mean, something. <laughs> you, you, do you all have a secret knock? You ever tell your kids, don't open unless you hear this. Yeah. I mean, you're like, God, give me a sign. 
I'm not going to walk through that door. I'm not going to. And God told him, he said, that man is a vessel. He is going to go through a lot of suffering for my name's sake. And he'll do it with joy. And he'll be obedient. Now do your part. What was his part? What was his gifting? The scripture doesn't tell us anything unique about Ananias. All it said was he knew how to pray. Is that your gift? Could your prayers be making that big of a difference in someone's life? I believe it does. I believe it does. Are you a musician? David, the psalmist. Read all the psalms. Are you a teacher? God took businessmen, fishermen, and he told them, think about this now, the rubber band effect. They were good fishermen. God said, now come with me. I'll teach you how to fish for men. You understand what I'm saying now? What we learn from the Apostle Paul is, is that he was a religious man. Now he became a spiritual father and a servant to the Most High God. Come on, Alicia. In conclusion, here's what I want to share with you. Who you were in the world is nothing compared to who you are in Christ. Your story's not over. It's not over in your life unless you want it to be. It isn't over in your life unless you desire it to be and you give up. But I'm going to tell somebody, again, remind you, don't give up. Don't give in. It's never too late. And what you were in the world is nothing compared to what God wants to do with you right now. Somebody give him some praise in the place right now. I want you to write this down. Here's your weekly challenge. We always give a weekly challenge. And, and here's the, I'm going to give you this one thing to do. I want you to personalize and memorize 1 Peter 2 and 9. It's very simple, but I promise you if you do it, it'll help you. Identify who you are, what you were meant to do. I personalized it for me right now, and I'm going to read it to you. 1 Peter 2 and 9. You can stand to your feet here this Sunday morning. Listen to me. Here's what it says. It says, but I am chosen, a chosen generation. You have to believe that. You are a chosen generation. After you, there will be other generations to follow that will follow in your steps as you follow after Christ. Say, I am chosen. It says, I am a royal priesthood. You weren't a priest before. A priest were the ones who were given the responsibility to worship God day and night, to set the ordinances there for the high priest, who the high priest is now Jesus Christ, who walked into eternity once with the sacrifice of himself being shed for many. But as priests, we make up the gap between the presence of God and the rest of the world. And by your devotion to him as a priest, now you have the ability to see lives changed. Say, I am a priest. I'm part of a priesthood. I am part of a holy nation. You know what holiness is? It's the attribute of the blood of Jesus cleansing your life. And how you stay holy is by being under the auspices of the grace of God to keep you from sin. Holiness is the identity of God. The very first attribute of God that we look at that explains everything in the scripture of why God required blood, of why God required humanity to follow after his laws, and why God said, I'm going to put them in their hearts and write them in their heart in the New Testament because God is holy. And he said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord is what he said in the New Testament. But how can one be holy? Not by our deeds, not by our good works, but by our surrender to the blood and the covering of his grace and mercy in my life. To live under that type of direction, God says, because of this nation, you are the nation of God, I will bless my people. I will bless you and there won't be any enemy that will be able to come against you. There will never be a foe in front of you that won't fail. 
There'll never be an army that you face that can ever come close to eating up your flesh. But David said this one thing I sought after in Psalms 27. It says, and one, therefore I seek after him, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of his holiness. Somebody say, I am a holy nation. His own people. I proclaim the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you, if, if you feel that today, just lift your hands and begin to worship. I've gone past my time, but God, right now, he wants to come in this moment and just begin to bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, those that are online watching and those that are here, we take the first step to you, to you, dear God. We ask you, forgive us of our sins. God, wash us from our own agendas. Father, cleanse us from our own devices. Forgive us for being selfish. We give our life to you again. We give our hearts to you again. We give ourselves to you again. We ask you, dear God, to move in this moment. To move in this moment. I want husband and wives to join hands together. I want children and their moms and dads to join hands together. If it's appropriate in the family, just join together and make this your profession. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. My family has a purpose. We will fulfill the will of God in our life. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live for Him. We're going to put Him first. We're going to allow Him to use us. We're going to allow Him to anoint us. We're going to allow Him to come into our life and be God. In the name of Jesus, we make this declaration today. Declaration today. Declaration today. Declaration today. Declaration today. Declaration today. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.